Many years in a congregation far, far away, a board secretary reported the results of a congregational vote that passed unanimously. One of the members of the congregation who was sitting near me leaned over and said, if I'd known it was going to be unanimous, I would have voted against it. (laughs) I couldn't tell if he was serious. Really? I said, why is that? Well, he replied with a smile, we're Unitarians after all, right? We're supposed to disagree instead of just going along with the group. We're not sheep. And he said it with a smile. So I will accept that it was partly in jest, but only partly. The other part had something to do with his understanding of Unitarian Universalism. And, while problematic to me, it was not without grounding in our history and our sources. Trust thyself, every heart vibrates to that iron string, booms the voice of the unofficial Unitarian Saint Ralph Waldo Emerson down through the ages. Trust thyself, whoso would be a man must be a nonconformist. Nothing at last is sacred but the integrity of your own mind. It is fascinating that this congregant would have been willing to change his vote to actually vote against the integrity of his own mind in order to uphold the value of nonconformity. Yes, I chose to vote I, but I will happily change my vote to nay so that we can show that, yes, here we have gathered and all that, but we gather as a collection of individuals who will not simply conform to the wishes of the whole. If that seems a little confusing, that is only because it is. And it speaks to the complexity of being the inheritors of this living tradition known as Unitarian Universalism, which brings together a powerful stream that upholds the individual most clearly expressed in our Unitarian history and a powerful stream that focuses more on community and relationship that may be more clearly found in our Universalist history, very generally speaking. The original title for this sermon was I and Us. Allison helpfully pointed out to me at a coffee with the minister, and I mean the helpful part sincerely. She pointed out that the grammar was incorrect, and of course she was right. I goes with we, and it is me that goes with us. And I wanted to reply that I knew that and that I had chosen to flout the rules on purpose, but it honestly hadn't crossed my mind. Once having brought this to my attention, however, rather than correcting it, I decided to slip even further into grammatical perversity with the title you see today, I and us and me and we. And one of the reasons I chose that was because I am aware, as messy and clumsy as that title sounds, that bringing these two streams of our tradition together, the worth and dignity of each individual and the desire to build beloved community, bringing these together is messy and clumsy and often flouts our best intentions to bring order and structure to the meeting of values. 
There are no simple equations that will make it come out right. No perfect balance of I and us and we and me. Because, listen, that focus on the individual exemplified by Emerson's essay carries gifts for our tradition, right? Our current first principle affirms the worth and dignity of every person. That is a powerful affirmation, especially as it moves beyond an abstract belief about humanity and becomes a call to action, shaping how we treat one another, each individual, every person. Those children who gathered up here this morning, I hope that each of them carries that, that worth and dignity and integrity of themselves. And in the current first of six sources of our Unitarian Universalist tradition, we talked about direct experience of transcending mystery and wonder. Direct experience. Before the words of any scripture or prophet or creed or precepts, we claim the primacy, and I have little doubt that Ralph Waldo would approve, we claim the primacy of direct experience. And if we're talking direct experience, we are talking about that which is experienced by the individual. It does not mean that it can't happen within a group or a community. In fact, I would guess it often does, but it is the individual experience in that context. And I need only look ahead to the celebration of coming out day in just a few days on October 11th to be proud of a tradition that affirms the right of each individual in naming and claiming their own identity. And I can hear more words from Emerson's essay ring out across the years. Insist on yourself, never imitate. Your own gift you can present every moment. Abide in the simple and noble regions of thy life. Obey thy heart. Beautiful, right? But listen, we have also become painfully aware of how a sanctification of the individual, not only in Unitarian Universalism, of course, but in U.S., American culture at large, we have become painfully aware of how that has not served us well, to say the least. If it is not deeply grounded in and tempered by the responsibilities of relationship and the need for community. We are faced with the devastation that individualism has wrought upon the earth, the apathy it promotes regarding the struggles of others, the loneliness and despair that pervades a society that glories in the illusion of being self-made, whatever the heck that is, or dare I say self-reliant, and the limits to a philosophy that defines good only in what I presently know and see as good. And I don't mean to lay this all at Ralph Waldo Emerson's feet, but take a listen to this passage. No law can be sacred to me but that of my nature. Good and bad are but names very readily transferable to that or this. The only right is what is after my constitution. The only wrong, what is against it. <clears throat> I am the only 
measure of what is good. That's pretty clear. Now, you might be able to wrestle the golden rule from that, treat others as you would like to be treated, but you'd never get to what is called the platinum rule, treat others as they would have you treat them. To get there, I would have to step outside the belief that the only right is what is after my constitution, that I am the final and solitary measure of what is good. And even the golden rule is a bit of a stretch for Emerson, as you can hear in this passage. Then again, do not tell me as a good man did today of my obligation to put all poor men in good situations. Are they my poor? I tell thee, thou foolish philanthropist, that I grudge the dollar, the dime, the cent I give to such men as do not belong to me and to whom I do not belong. He goes on to write how there may be some people to whom he will offer assistance, but he wants to choose them and not just give to anyone. Yeah, it doesn't get any better, really. (laughs) His point is pretty clear. And why am I spending so much time picking on Waldo? Because whether you've read Emerson or not, And if you've read Self-Reliance all the way through, congratulations. (laughs) I mean, there is a lot there, and it is worth reading, but it is Emerson thick. But whether you've read Emerson or not, he's a towering figure in our heritage, for better and worse. So it is worth deconstructing some of what he wrote because we see it playing out in our communities and again in the wider culture all the time. And what jumped out at me this time around with this essay is that Emerson includes some of the worst ramifications of that individualism right there in its pages. We don't have to wonder where this can lead if unchecked. You can hear it in some of the passages I read. And what was interesting to me is that I don't remember seeing that as clearly the first time I read it back in seminary. And I think the reason it was so apparent to me this time is because of the work that this congregation has been doing. From welcoming congregation to beloved conversations to eighth principle, the work you all have been doing in looking at what it means to be truly inclusive what it means to relate to others with not the golden, but the platinum rule in mind. Treat others as they would have you treat them. What it means to welcome people, not with the expectation that they need to change to fit in, but that our congregation is open to changing through the presence and participation of the people who gather together to show to all a new community. And you might already be thinking that that sounds a lot simpler than it really is. You are correct. Balancing I and us and me and we is messy. We are not simply out to try and satisfy a diversity of individual preferences. That is not our mission. Our mission is to deepen connections. 
We are committed to deepening connections by nurturing spiritual growth, which includes not only a free search for truth and meaning, but a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Practicing justice, which means we are inherently relational beings and wish to bring equity and compassion to these relationships. And inspiring joy. And yes, joy can be experienced by a solitary individual, but it often involves a deep awareness of our relationships and connections. And to inspire joy in others necessitates being in relationship with others. Royce's words, the beloved community embodies values which no human individual viewed as a detached being could even remotely approach. When friends really join hands and hearts and lives, it is not the mere collection of sundered organisms and of divided feelings. Their life as friends is the unity which wins them to itself and gives them meaning. The unity is the vine. They are the branches. In other words, though personally, I love Neil Diamond. (laughs) I don't want to spend my life singing, I am, I said, to no one there. And no one heard that. All night, even the chair. I'd much rather be singing, I'm a small part of the world. I'd much rather be singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine everywhere I go, building up a world. Please rise in body or spirit and join in singing number 118, this little light of mine in our gray hymnal 